Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Well, there are two kinds, in, in my experience in ministry at least, I've learned there are two kinds of worship teams. The kind that you feel like you have to get up and now the whole thing is on top of you to make it better. And then another kind, that's the kind you just heard, where if it's going to go downhill, this is where it's going to start. So there's a part of me that's like, let's just go home. Like, that was powerful. Thank you so much, guys. Um, Nah, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. Let's see if I can be equal to the task. You know what? I can't be. But God's spirit, by his grace, you're going to hear something today. And I think it's amazing as I think about everything we do at this time of the year, as, as around Passover and, and the Easter season, and I mean everything, like all the hams that are cooked, all the pictures that get made, all the eggs that are hunted, all the chocolate that's eaten and consumed and given away, uh, all of the worship services that are happening, not just the ones on this campus uh, that have happened all throughout the weekend, but in other churches in this area. I think about the fact that all that started yesterday in uh, you know, somewhere out in the Far East, probably our Asian brothers and sisters began this whole thing. They, they're the ones, because of the way that the planet spins, that get to kick all this off. And I think about the multiplied billions and billions of people that have done that for the last 2,000 years, all around this crazy idea that someone rose from the dead. And, and there have been in history people who've tried to explain in sort of less supernatural ways. Sociologists have a role to play. Like, let's, let's explain human behavior. Like, why would people gather to celebrate something like this? Why would people believe something like this? Why, why does this happen, right? Why, why, why Easter weekend? Now, there are those who say, for example, that, well, there, there are several possible explanations for this outside of a, of a bodily resurrection. There's something that's been around for about 100 years, for example, called, called swoon theory. It basically says Jesus really didn't die on the cross. He sort of passed out. And then when they put him in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb combined with other things sort of revived him. And then beaten, battered, bruised, nail prints through his wrist, his hands, probably lost about a third of his blood supply, but somehow... He's able to push this multi-ton stone out of the way and make himself known to his disciples, and that's what motivated them. Uh, others have said, well, the disciples stole the body, which is certainly plausible, although you're going to have to account for the insanity of people who would give their lives for something that they know to be a lie. Like, if, if you're going to steal his body, you're doing that to, to purport a fraud, once you get caught in that and they say, confess what you did or we're going to cut your head off, I don't know about you, but I'm not stupid. All right, I'm just going to do it. And then there was, there's one that came out about 40 or 50 years ago by a, a theologian named Alfred North Whitehead called, believe it or not, the decomposition theory. It says that all of the elements scientifically, biologically, and otherwise were exactly right in that tomb in order to affect the body of Jesus entirely decomposing in 36 hours. I can remember reading that one in seminary and I thought to myself, if that's what happened, that's actually a greater miracle than the resurrection. 
Like, I, I, I don't know how that happens. And I, now, aside from all of the scientific absurdity around that and, and the natural sort of uh, reflexive nature that all of us have to try to explain something, I mean, I understand that. But, but let's, let's just take all of that out for a moment, all of the absurdity, and let's, let's just consider this. If any of those three things even actually happen, that's not very inspiring. Not like not launch a movement that 2,000 years later is represented by a room full of people inspiring. That, that's not where it comes from. If I see a guy who just merely passed out, I'm thankful he's alive. I'm not ready to give my life for him. Not the way Peter did. Not the way James did. Not the way the early disciples did. And, and, and here's the thing. This just, it had to be something else. Because when Jesus was crucified, there were only about 120 followers who were true to his message at that time. We are as likely to have 10 times that number on our campus this weekend, certainly by the time we consider our online audience. And so we, you think about that, 120, that's where it started. And today there are 2.3 billion people with a B all over the world that claim to be followers of Jesus. Did you know that's one out of every three people on planet Earth? One out of every three. The church, if you take this local assembly, other local assemblies that are meeting right now in the panhandle, every other local assembly that's meeting in the world right now or has met already or will meet on the West Coast by the time this day is done, and you put us all together, we are the largest organization in the world. We are larger than the populations of China and all of the European countries put together. Nobody else even comes close. How did that happen? How'd that happen? And, and how did it spread so far, so fast? You're, you're talking about people, 90% of whom could not read. They have no map. They have no airplane. They have no knowledge of the world around, uh, outside of about a 90-mile uh, a, a radius around where they all came from. And yet somehow in 70 years, they made it to the Indian Ocean. How did all that happen? One word, resurrection. That's how it happened. See, this isn't just fantasy for us, right? I like fantasy books. Our kids are very familiar with Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, all of that. We understand that a story doesn't necessarily have to be true in order to affect you powerfully and motivate you ethically, but this one, brothers and sisters, does. It simply must be true. In the same text that we just read earlier at the outset of our time together, Paul says, in fact, if it's not true, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. And so we believe it matters that it happened on Friday. I shot a video and I said, look, if you come to Covenant or you go to some other church, just make sure you go to an assembly that believes this stuff happened because it matters. We're not trying to be picky. We're not trying to be grumpy. We're saying it, it matters that it happened. And it was and still the most significant moment in human history. Think about this. Even the date of your birth is reference to Jesus. If you ask me how old I am and I say I'm 50 and you say, how, how do you know that? And I say, well, that's because I was born in 1972. Well, how do you know it's 1972? Like all of that is, is referenced back to the time of Jesus, his existence, his crucifixion, his resurrection. All of it happened because of the resurrection. And again, we're not, this isn't resuscitation. We have first responders in the room right now. People get resuscitated all the time, don't they, guys? People die medically, sometimes for 15, 20 minutes. And then they get revived, 
And then what do they do? They write a book about coming back from death. That ain't coming back from death. Not, not like we're talking about here. Resurrection, listen, resurrection is when you've been in the ground for three days and you come back to life. That event turned those first followers from being despondent and despaired and depressed to being fe- people filled with a contagious kind of hope that took over the world. When they saw a man who was dead come back to life, it changed everything. And that's still true today. Did you know that? That is still true today. We, we have more hope as followers of Jesus than anybody else in the world because of this day. Easter changes everything. And it does so, first of all, because we've been completely forgiven. Those of us who put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus have been forgiven. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, meaning God has let this go. He doesn't hold it against us anymore, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And so we're forgiven, and we're forgiven because we need forgiveness. Paul mentions that here, forgiveness of our trespasses. Isaiah goes on to elaborate, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we rejoice on a day like this in forgiveness, first and foremost, because we recognize we need it. We have to have it. And and it's why so many other people who don't have it walk around with, with hidden shame. It's why other people live in fear. I've met people like that. There may be some in this room right now. I know what I've done. I, I, I don't know. When's it going to happen? Like, when's retribution going to come? When am I finally going to have to pay for this? When's the other shoe going to drop? When is karma going to catch up with me? That's fear. And, and sometimes people don't even know why you're afraid because there's shame. You're trying to cover it up. Let me, trust me, I bet there's not a person in this room. I certainly know I'm not one of, the, one of those people who would tell you that we don't have something we hope you never find out about. That's shame. We're trying to hide something. We're trying to cover something because we're living with actual guilt. And and the Bible tells us elsewhere that that guilt and that fear and that shame, all everything that accompanies it began in the Garden of Eden right at the beginning. Our first parents sinned against the Lord. Genesis 3, 7 says their eyes were opened. First thing they realize is they're naked. So they sew together fig leaves to cover themselves up. You know what that is? That's shame. I don't want anybody to see. I don't want anybody to know. God came down and asked Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I I heard you coming and I hid because I was afraid, fear. All of us are living with shame and fear. Why are we doing it? Because we have the same problem our father Adam did. The Lord says, did you do what I commanded you not to do? Guilt. And thousands of years later, we still live with shame, we still live with fear, and we live with the feelings of shame and fear because we live with the inescapable reality of our own guilt. Now, where does that intersect with the resurrection? In this way. Jesus being alive means you don't have to live with any of that. Your guilt is taken away positionally. Ultimately, God will make you in Christ into who you need to be, and so you don't need to live in shame anymore, and you don't need to live in fear anymore. Romans 4.25 says of Jesus, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He died in our place, 
and he was raised for our justification. We're now declared righteous on that basis. Alistair Begg, who's a pastor in Parkside, Ohio, asks us to, to imagine what it must have been like for that thief on the cross. You remember that guy? The one who hung there, he was a thief, probably, as best we know from the ancient world, a thief was also a murderer. This is probably a guy, and who knows, he could have conspired with the other guy that was cursing at Jesus to, to go and, and, and to rob someone's home and to kill all of those people. And there they are, hanging between heaven and earth on the cross. One of them is cursing at the Lord. If you really are the Messiah, why don't you, why don't you call the, the angelic regiment? Why don't you get us all out of this? And that other thief said, he called his, called his friend out. He said that we deserve to be here. This man hasn't done anything. And then comes the shame and the fear and the guilt. And it comes out like this, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, would you, like, I don't expect to get there. Like, I know what I have done. I never expect to see this place. Would you just, I just don't want to be forgotten. Will you remember me? And Jesus says to him, this day you will be with me. And Beg says, let's imagine what it's like when that guy walks through the gates of heaven. To the shock, I am certain, of a lot of people, including, no doubt, some of his former victims. You know who that guy is? Yeah, I know who that guy. I'm still missing my wallet. Yeah. Yeah, I know. What's he doing here? What are you doing here? And his initial reaction is, I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? This is heaven. You have to know how you got to be. You, did you make up for anything? Oh, I couldn't have made up for anything. Did you, did you pass a Bible quiz? You got Bible? What's that? I don't know anything about this. Did you somehow make restitution? Dude, I'm hanging naked on a cross. Ain't nothing I can do. All right? I am powerless to do anything. And they finally go, well, then why are you here? And he says, because the man on the middle cross told me I could come. That's why I'm here. That's why you'll get there. That's how I'm going to get there. Jesus is risen from the dead. You and I have forgiveness of sins. It's as literally like you were the criminal defendant in a court of law. You know you did it. Everybody else knows you did it. All of the evidence points in a singular direction. Everything lined up objectively against you. And you know it should be that way. And then all of a sudden you hear the judge say, not guilty. That's what the resurrection of Jesus accomplished for you. It's what it accomplished for me. I have hope because I've been completely forgiven. And because of that forgiveness, I'm not afraid to die. Well, over the last two years, we've seen a lot of fear of death, haven't we? An awful lot. So many people paralyzed by the fear of death. And, and, and you know what? Here's a simple fact. Without the bodily resurrection of Jesus in history, we would not even know whether there is life after death. I forget who it was who said in searching for a religion, I, I simply asked myself two questions. Has anyone conquered death? And, and have they provided a way for me to do it? And, and, and so I launched on a search for all the great religions in the world, all the great philosophers in the world, all of them certainly well-meaning, all of them seeking to find the truth, but I found the graves of every single one of them occupied. And then I came to the grave of Jesus and it was empty and I read his words in the New Testament where he said, because I live, you will live also. And so my search is over. I don't need to fear death anymore because of this. We see this reality prefigured in a story in John chapter 11. Jesus has a really good friend named Lazarus, and he's died. 
And there's this weird sort of moment where Jesus hears that he's sick and then waits. Like, I, I remember I, I had an uncle pass away, and I was in southern Mexico, and I called my staff at the time to get me home in time for the funeral. It was 2008. My mother was still alive. She was grieving the loss of her brother. I, I felt like I needed to be there for my family. And so I got so, so a guy like me sees a verse like that and goes, that's kind of weird. Why would you purposefully wait? And moreover, why would you wait until he's dead? And then you show up, and then we read this sort of tense encounter in verse 21, because Martha meets him out front and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How's that for niceties at a funeral? Like you're grieving. You want to grieve with your loved ones. You're expecting them to come out and give you a big hug. Instead, they come out and they go, where you been? That's what happened. Where you been? Moreover, if you'd been here a little earlier, this would not have happened. And then Jesus utters these famous words that we often read at the graveside. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, if your brother, if you'd been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she goes back to what she knows at that point was Jewish orthodoxy. There is a, a raising from the dead. We believe in bodily resurrection. So she goes, of course, of course he will. He will be raised in the future at the resurrection. And Jesus effectively says, you're looking at the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. What I want to know, I, I get that you've got all the Hebrew scriptures figured out. I understand that you believe them. What I want to know is if you believe this. Some of you have suffered some great loss. Some of you have suffered. Even now with some of that loss you've endured, it, it may seem a little more like, like what we call Holy Saturday than Easter Sunday. Like you're still waiting for a resurrection. You're still waiting for something to happen. You're still melancholy. You're still going about your, your day, doing your duty, but, but it's like you. And, and you might need to hear these words in a fresh way today. I am the resurrection. And you know how you can know that to be true? Because the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus was raised and then he was seen. Up to 500 followers at once. Acts tells us that happened over the, a period of about 40 days. Conclusive proof of all of this is that he met multiple times with multiple people. Yes, it's a crazy, just nutty story. But it is attested to. So what else can we conclude but that it happened, that it actually happened? I mean, I, I understand it. Like if I'm standing out in the lower lobby today greeting some of you and, and, I, and I look at you and I go, hey, guess what? I saw the Queen of England yesterday. She's in town. That seems a little far-fetched, right? Like in Shepherdstown? Really? You sure she's not at Windsor? It's Easter weekend, Pastor. Or if she's here, maybe at least at D.C., maybe she's at the White House as a guest, maybe she's at the Capitol. No, she was right here. You're going to think, okay, he just, Pastor, you got to quit eating nachos at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. <laughs> we think maybe you dreamed this up because there's only one witness. But now if, if, what if 900 other people come forward and they go, oh, no, no. No, Pastor Joel's right. I saw her. She's staying over at the Bavarian. Somebody else said, yeah, we took her fishing on the Potomac. I don't know why you take them fishing on the Potomac, but anyway, we're, we're doing all that. Yeah, I saw her the other day. You know, we had her over for dinner the other night. Now the issue is no longer an incredible witness. Now the real only barrier here is your own doubt. 
You're like, this is coming from multiple directions. It sounds crazy. But within 70 years, these people who were running and hiding, they covered the known world with this message. Two centuries after that, it became the predominant faith of the Roman Empire. That can only happen for one reason. Jesus rose from the dead. You have the evidence you need to believe that it happened. And because you can believe it happened, you can live without fear. You don't have to be afraid ever again. And in that life in which you and I live fear-free, we have something else. Let me put it a different way. We have someone else. We have the Spirit of God to guide us. Jesus had promised this. In fact, he ordered them in Acts chapter 1 not to depart from Jerusalem after his resurrection. Wait for the promise of the Father, for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he does for us what Jesus promised, enables us to live in the power of the resurrection. And so the Father sends the Son, the Son gives his life, seals our redemption with that payment, is raised bodily from the dead, ascends back to the Father, preparing a place for you and me right now. And one day he's going to come back. And in the meantime, he says, I'm going to send someone else, a comforter, a paraclete, a guide, someone to whop you across the back of your head when you jump out of line, someone who will steer your conscience in the right direction, someone who will guide you in all truth, someone who will empower you with gifts, someone who will unite the church under my lordship. His name is the Holy Spirit. And it's in his power that you're going to be able to handle anything this life throws at you and do it without shame and without fear. I don't know how many of you know what a bathosphere is. When you see a picture of it here in a moment, you'll probably recognize it. It's this deep sea underwater exploration device. Prior to the invention of this sucker, we couldn't go below maybe a couple hundred feet because the depths at which human beings have explored the ocean floor, if you're not in something like that, it's going to shrivel you up. Like a guy like me will be about as big around as my fist. That's what it'll do. It'll crush your bones, your muscle, your sinew, all, all of that PSI down at the bottom of that ocean will just crush you. And so these people were excited to get in this thing, plumb the depths of the ocean floor, but they were shocked when they turned on the light. These men who, if they'd been outside, this thing would have been crushed like a grape. And what they see are these little fish swimming around, thin-skinned fish, like there's nothing going on. And they're like, what in the world? How are they not being crushed? We know why we're not being crushed, because we're surrounded by several inches of reinforced steel. Why are they not being crushed? And so somehow they captured these fish, they took them up to the surface, and you know what they discovered? They discovered that God had designed the bodies of these fish in such a way that whatever force would come at them to crush them on the outside was compensated by a proportional equal force from the inside. And that's how they survive. And that's you and me. That's you and me. Like, you're like we think, all right, I got to get over something or I got to get through something or this, this part of life. Listen, I, I know life can stink sometimes. And, and if you if you enjoy living in the parts of life that stink, there probably really is something wrong with you. But what I want to tell you is the point of life is not to get through the rough times and just have it be mountaintop on top of mountaintop on, on top of mountaintop because God never promised to change the world around you. Here's what he did promise. 
because Jesus is risen and because, as we just sang about, that same power in the presence of the Holy Spirit lives in you and me, because all of that's true, you can endure. Because for everything from in your life that comes at you from the outside, there is an equal proportional pressure from the inside. But here's the catch. You can't do this on your own. And that's the issue. You, you maybe, I don't, whether, it's, whether it's addiction, whether it's, it's struggle, dysfunction in relationships or whatever, and, and you do what we call white knuckling. You know what that is? You grab onto something so tight your knuckles turn white. And you just, I'm going to push through this and I'm going to push through this. Yeah, that, that only lasts as long as you do. And you're not going to last as long as you need to in a moment like that. You're going to need someone who can last on your behalf. You were never meant to live life in your own power. And so if you're one of those people that are like, man, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm barely hanging on. I feel like I'm running on fumes. Well, you weren't supposed to live that way anyway. And I'm telling you on this Easter Sunday, you don't have to live that way. You just don't have to. And you know what your assurance of that is? Hundreds of people witnessed a man rise from the dead. Then they watched him some 40 days later go into heaven and remember his promise to send the Holy Spirit so that the same power that brought Jesus back to life could reside in us. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Resurrection power in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, in you. That's the power to keep going. And then here's the greatest news of all. <clears throat> Once this life comes to an end, it gets even better. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's what he's saying. Sometimes people think heaven's going to be boring. And my answer is, you've watched too many Elmer Fudd cartoons. Okay, heaven is not sitting on a cloud, flapping wings that apparently you still need a cloud for. I, I don't know. You try to figure that out. Playing a harp with no end in sight. That's not heaven, that's hell. I mean, honestly. We get these weird ideas, We're like what, what is heaven gonna be like? Ever increasing joy. And it never stops and it never stops getting better. I've had a lot of experience walking with people through sadness and sickness, and when I think about the way Scripture describes heaven in that way, the more, the more I witness the way this world can assault people that I love, people that Jesus loves and they died for, the more I have to I have people go to heaven ahead of me, and the older I get, the more I long for that next world. And the more I'm ready for it. I still want grandchildren. I mean, it's not that I'm ready to go now. But it does seem like with every subsequent year, you're like, man, this is going to be truly awesome. I'm not afraid to die. 
You don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to live. And it's all because of the resurrection. That's my prayer for you today, that you can have that same <clears throat> confidence that you can be certain of eternal life. You know, it's amazing to me. I read like 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And still, the number of people who call themselves Christian and I ask them, how's your relationship with God? Well, I think it's okay. Well, I hope it's okay. You don't have to live that way. You don't. God has provided you a way to know. Let me share that with you. First, you just need to understand who God is. He's your creator. He made you. He has purpose for you. And because of that, secondly, you need to know who you are. You're his creation. You have infinite value. You're trying to find your worth in a title, in an achievement, in an education, in, in, in a financial portfolio, in any number of other things. So that in your family, which is precious, but Lord have mercy, any of you trying to find your identity in your kids are going to be sorely disappointed. And all three of mine are wonderful people. They're just horrible gods. Right? You're trying to find your identity. You're trying to find your purpose. No, your, your primary reference point is to your creator. And by that virtue alone, the virtue of you being created in his image and likeness, stamped on you, that divine image, your worth is infinite. And you ain't even done nothing yet. Not a thing. What can a baby do? Everybody's all excited about it. And I'm, I'm excited about babies. Right. We got a lot of them being born right now, about to be born, coming up in a few weeks, coming up in a few months, and I'm pumped. I do. I love the fact that God is granting new life, not just spiritually, but like literally physically in this congregation. Loads and loads of babies. I'm primarily happy about it because they're not mine. I don't have to change their diaper. But but I'm telling you, I'm really excited about it. And everybody gets excited about babies. Mamas get excited about babies. Grandmamas get excited about babies. We, and we should get excited about babies, shouldn't we? We should. I, I'm, I'm making, I'm emphasizing this point so that you don't think I don't believe that when I say what I'm about to say next. What good are babies? They slobber and they poop and they keep you up at night. And if they're not doing one of those things, they're doing the other one. Where's the value? Image of God, all right? And all these years later, we've all got older and uglier. Nobody wants to cuddle with us anymore, right? But guess what? That same infinite worth is there. God created you. God loves you. God stamped his image on you. You're like, well, then what's the problem? Well, that brings us to number three. You need to understand what you've done. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So well, what can I do about that? Nothing. You, you can't do anything. You cannot be good enough to enter a perfect place reigned over by a perfect God. And he will not condescend to allow anything less than perfect in his presence. That's where the impasse comes from. That's why the day we celebrate today is so incredibly important. 
Understand who Jesus is. He came willingly. He wrapped himself in human flesh. He lived in the very perfection that God requires of you and me. He died laying down his life willingly to pay the price for your sins and mine. And then we, we see this powerful contrasting truth in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of free. You hear that? Free gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. That can be yours today. And it comes in this way. This is my last verse. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Like, it's that simple? It's that simple. He goes on to tell us why it's that simple. For with the heart, one, is believe, one believes and is justified. Like, this isn't just, okay, you've convinced me intellectually, swoon theory, decomposition, all that's stupid. All right, the only reasonable. No, I don't mean just with your mind. I mean you embrace this truth with your whole heart. You stake your life on it. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're like, Pastor, I got questions though. That's okay. Pastor, I don't know if I believe everything in the Bible. There's nothing that I just read to you that says you have to, to take that first step. Pastor, I got science questions. Pastor, I got sex questions. Pastor, I've got ethics questions. I've got culture questions. I, I don't, there's just so many things that I don't, it, it's just two things he wants from you right now. He wants your faith. I believe he rose from the dead. I embrace it with him, my whole heart. I'm going to give him everything. And then he wants your allegiance. Confess him as Lord. I don't understand everything. I'm not even sure if I believe everything just yet. But those are the, listen, he wants those two things. You give Jesus those two things, I promise you he'll take care of everything else. Today, that's all he's asking for. Because he knows you can't get there on your own. He knows that you need the power of the Spirit, his resurrection power, his conforming work inside in order to become everything that he intends for you to be. You just give him your faith and you give him your allegiance and you do that today. That's part of what that blue card is there for. You might want to write down, I, I, I've chosen today to give my life over to Jesus. Some of you have done that in the past and you need to confess that publicly through baptism. We've got one of those coming up in just about a month. Public baptism service, I want to be baptized. Uh, some of you are like, well, man, I've, I've kind of slid back from the faith. I didn't see its relevance, and now I'm starting to see. However God is calling you to respond, you put it on that blue card. Or in just a moment, you come underneath one of these crosses, and you get with a, an elder or a deacon, and we, we'll figure it out together. We'll love you. We'll, we'll pray for you. But I want to tell you this. That invitation is open to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. It is never too late as long as you're sucking wind in this life to give that broken life to God and let him put it back together. Let him heal it. Let him make you whole again. And you can know without a doubt he will do what he said he was going to do for one reason. He's alive. Physically, at the right hand of the Father, alive. And that changes absolutely everything. I want to ask you to bow with me. I want to ask our elders and deacons if they would go ahead and take positions under the crosses. And I just want to ask you to pray. 
How would the Lord have you respond to this message today? We have hundreds of people in front of me, hundreds more I'm sure still online, and, and you're all at different places in life's journey, and the Lord wants to meet you there right now. I can only speak to one group at a time. The Lord Jesus can pierce with scalpel-like accuracy every single heart that is in front of me. And so now is the moment for you to turn it over to him. And I, I just simply want to ask you to do that. Are you watching from home? Go to covenantexperience.com. The same kind of blue card, you can find it right there. Let us know. If you're here in the building, respond to an elder. Respond to a deacon under the crosses. But be obedient to him. Be obedient to his call. Find life today. If you walked in here with shame, you don't have to walk out wearing it. If you walked in here with fear, you can walk out with courage. This is the promise of Easter. And so, Lord, we pray in this moment that every man, woman, and child in my, hearing my voice would respond in a way that honors you. And for those who maybe don't know you, may this be the day that they give their life over to you. Father, recognizing that really all you need is their faith and their allegiance, what the Bible calls repentance and faith. They'll just give their lives over. The journey starts there. They don't have to everything, have everything figured out. They don't have to have any other part of their life put together. How many times have I told people that and they still seem to think that there's some new leaf they have to turn over? before they come to you. Lord, may your spirit convince them otherwise today and bring them to Jesus. And I make this prayer in his name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.